This is an exciting new voice. Episode 2, What Next? I'm Ben Hunter, Booktopia's Fiction Category Manager. In our first episode, we explored what it takes to turn a work in progress into a completed manuscript. Today, we're asking what happens next. What makes an author feel ready to pursue publication? And how do they go about finding a home for their new novels? I spoke to two debut authors to find out the answers. My name is Chloe Wilson, and my book is called Hold Your Fire. It's a collection of short stories. Hi, my name is Madeline Ryan. I'm the author of A Room Called Earth, which is an adventure inside the mind of a magical, dynamic, insightful, contradictory, sensual woman as she prepares for and attends a party in Melbourne on Christmas Eve Eve. And sort of when she least least expects it, she meets this guy and a deeper connection sort of forms with him. And the book is very much about how miraculous it is when we connect with one another, given, you know, how many thoughts and feelings and experiences are happening all at once in each of us. The idea that, you know, we can actually connect to another person, I think, is quite miraculous. So you're done and dusted. You've finished typing that last sentence, you've put on the finishing touches, and you're ready to pursue publication. At what point do you feel that you are finally ready? I asked the question of Chloe Wilson. I think for me, a manuscript is never finished. I think if I was given the opportunity now, I would just continue editing stories and just edit everything until it was ground down into a fine powder of nothing. So I... Um, I work well responding to, to deadlines and to um, other people's encouragement to, to let something go and, and offer it up, as the nuns used to say at my school. Madeline Ryan. I kind of had to wait for it to tell me that in a way, like for the story itself. It was like an intuitive process for me. I'm sure that there are many writers who would have a plan and deadlines and goals that they would set for themselves to sort of create a fixed schedule that they would go by, which would dictate to them when they'd reached the point that it was ready to be shared. But I kind of had to feel like everything that I felt I could express or could be expressed through me had been articulated. Um, and that, the only thing that could happen at that point was for someone else to come in, whether that's, you know, in the case of the first book, obviously it was an agent or, you know, a publisher or whatever who would then come in with their information was meant to be expressed through them was what had to be added to it. It was like I'd reached the end of what I could give, I guess. And so that dictated to me when it was like, okay, now it's time to, to share it and see what sticks or who will stick to it and feel that part of their purpose is to, to give to it as well. Right. So it was, it was almost like um, you'd done everything you possibly could with the book by yourself personally and now it had to become a collaborative experience. Exactly. Yeah, it was very much that for me. Mm. Between introducing yourself to agents, directly sending manuscripts to publishers and have them go into slush piles, self-publishing books and pursuing digital publishing, there are so many different ways to get a work out there. So what avenues did our authors explore? 
and what wound up being the track to success for them. This is what Madeline Ryan had to say. I had a very interesting experience with that because I had been writing for American publications, like articles about neurodiversity and things like that. And I had agents contact me during that time from America being like, you know, we're really interested in your work and in your first novel and do send it to us when you're ready. And I sort of said to myself, oh, I'll share it when, you know, as I said before, like reach that point where I feel like it's ready to be shared. And so I waited and I must have only been about halfway through the book when that was happening. And then I got to the end of that part of the process and I, you know, went to these agents. I think there was three of them. And I was all, I guess in a way I was kind of all puffed up and excited too. I was like, yes, these agents in America are like so interested in me and this is fantastic. And there's like three or four of them. I'm like, wow. And then every single one of them rejected it um, for various reasons. One was like, I don't know what to do with this. The other one, I think, never responded. One of them might have been on maternity leave. And I think the fourth said she didn't have space on her books anymore. Like she'd quit, you know, she'd sort of contacted too many authors and didn't have room now. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm completely back at square one in a way. Like I'd sort of been functioning in this parallel universe of being sure that the next phase was sort of all set up. And it was back to the submissions page, really, with agents from all around the world. And I experienced plenty more rejection after that point too. I was kind of in the abyss for, yeah, a a while. Um, Must have been a couple of months until, yeah, I I found an agent who sort of immediately was like, oh, I can totally see this. This feels brilliant. You know, leave it with me and let's see where, you know, we can go with it together. So it's kind of, yeah, for me, it was very much a process of continuing to believe in it and that I'd done everything I could and just praying and waiting that it would sort of fall into the right hands when the time was right. Um, and who was that agent? And 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 what what uh, one thing uh, seemed to vibe so well with them? So her name was Barbara Zitwa, and she was in New York. And she just, I think, from what she expressed to me, kind of started reading it and just really resonated with the the voice in the story. It's funny because I'd had a lot of agents say to me, you know don't feel it like just don't feel the voice don't feel connected to it but she had the complete opposite experience I think it's something that can't really be controlled in that way it becomes a very unique person-to-person experience which interestingly enough the book is very much interested in in the celebration of what makes those connections like you know happen and it is kind of out of control and magical but she you know she could just feel what it was doing and and then she was able to create connections with publishers who also felt that, you know, and there's something that kind of, yeah, can't be quantified ab- about that, I think, but certainly requires continued action and like contacting others in order to make that happen or sort of put life in that process or something. Yeah. Chloe Wilson. I suppose in my case, it's a little bit different because it's a short story. So I started off by entering the short stories into competitions or sending them to journals or magazines, hoping to get them published individually and um, had some success with that, including through the, um, uh, the Bristol Short Story Prize, which is how I, um, how I got the agent who represented me for this book. And they uh, once 
once I had a, enough short stories uh, to form a collection, they put it into publishers and um, it went to auction from there. And you eventually got picked up by Ben Ball at Scribner, is that right? That's right, yeah. What was what was it like uh, working with Ben? It was great working with Ben. Um, he's obviously put a lot of um, really amazing short story collections out into the world, including, um, I, I think, Manly and Fiona McFarlane's work. So um, it was great working with him. He he provided suggestions and and questions about the work, but was never um, forceful in trying to to make me make changes. There were things that I decided I would like. I would prefer to leave if they were, and um, he was happy to allow me to do that. When you um, arrange stories in a collection, as you have, um, what's the decision making process around? Uh, uh, sort of curating the stories into a sequential flow and um, what what stories get, um, I imagine you've, you've got more material than actually ends up in the finished book. So so what um, what are the hard decisions that were made in, in uh, leaving things aside and, and when we eventually got included? By the time the book got to the publisher, all the stories that were in there stayed. For me, it's I have the reverse problem where I would I would just keep cutting so <laughs> there were times where there were another three or four or five stories that I would have cut just because I could see ways in which I felt that they could be improved um, in terms of the sequence I I think that my background in poetry really affected my view of how to arrange things because the stories vary a lot in length so the shortest story in my collection is only about a hundred words long and the longest one is nearly 10,000 words long and I, I was looking at proportion a lot, um, not wanting things to feel weighed too, too heavily one way or another, um, looking to balance the length and, um, and balance out the recurring images or motifs so that they weren't all clustered together. Is there a difference um, in putting fiction to publication in the form of sto- short stories to putting poetry to publication because you've had collections of or a collection of short story of uh, of poetry in the past haven't you I have yeah I've published um, two collections of poems prior to this in some ways the um, the, the process is very similar in that you have an, an agreement with a publisher and you go through a series um, you go through an editing a collaborative kind of editing process and then the book eventually gets published I think where it's different is just that um, the whole operation of poetry is is much smaller, and so um, there was there's uh, there's not a lot of a lot of budget to do things. There's not a lot of publicity. There's um, it's there's a lot of uh, it, it runs on people's passion for poetry and very little else. Yes, <laughs> um, I want to circle back to one other thing you mentioned earlier is. Uh, being picked up by by an agent um, after winning that Bristol Prize, um, what what was the process there? And and was that was that a winning moment for you? Was that was that a um, I've made it moment when you when you found an agent? For me, I think it was a surprising moment. I think coming from writing poetry and writing short stories, I didn't expect to ever have an agent at all. I'd certainly never pitched my work to an agent. So um, I was runner-up in the Bristol Prize. And then, um, yeah, so being told that an agent would like to contact me was um, interesting. Had been one of the, was the chair of the the panel of judges. 
I was genuinely surprised and then obviously really thrilled that um, the, that somebody wanted to, to represent my work going forward. It's, it's an enormously flattering thing, isn't it? It is, absolutely, yeah. Receiving the news that your first book is going to be published is a dream come true for many people. And often it feels like the culmination of years of work and effort. What does it feel like to receive that news? And what do you do next? I asked the question of Chloe Wilson. I can see how there would be those sorts of feelings. I think for me, I'm, I'm bad at enjoying things. And uh, I am already, I'm just focused on trying to do the next thing or worrying about the next thing. So while I'm, it's almost more like relief. The, that, or I, not that I'm unhappy about it, but that I, I just, I don't know, I find it difficult to pause and really celebrate or revel in that moment because I'm already focusing on, on the next work, whatever's currently giving me headaches. And um, what is the next work that's giving you headaches at the moment? Oh, well, actually, at the moment I have a newborn, so that is uh, taking up quite a lot of my time um, and I haven't, haven't been writing as much this year as I typically would be, but um, I'm still working on fiction, working on short stories. Hope to, and I'll have a new one coming out, um, a post-book short story coming out soon. Madeline Ryan, again. It was kind of an out-of-body experience, I suppose, in part because I had visualised and imagined and so wanted to manifest that moment and I guess when it's presented it feels like the alignment is so many different parts of my existence and who I am kind of reaching this culmination point so it was really yeah it was really special um, and hugely rewarding and satisfying but at the same time it's kind of a death and a birth it's like the end of one enormous phase of the process and the beginning of a whole another phase which is full of people and ideas and visions for things and plans and marketing and publicity. So it kind of was like to be given the news was a triumphant end of one chapter and then the beginning of a whole new chapter, which was totally unknown. And I kind of think the the image of an author working in isolation since I've been through this process is a myth. It's like, it, is, it has been so collaborative, like short, you know, it took me a while, you know, a period of time to get to that point where I felt the story was at a point where it was ready to be shared. Although even then my partner had read different drafts of it and he'd given me his perspective. So in a sense, that process didn't even exist in complete isolation. It was sort of within the confines of my home, but it was still collaborative to some extent, you know, because he'd read it and had an impression of it even at that point. And then yeah, so it then became even more collaborative. And I think that any beautiful thing that's created on this earth involves many minds and hearts. And so that point of being told that it was going to be published was just the commencement of another phase of all of that. Yeah. And would you do it all again? And will you do it all again? Yes and yes, definitely. I I loved writing that novel and I would love and I plan to write many more. Absolutely. A massive thank you to Chloe Wilson and Madeline Ryan for joining me on today's podcast. You can get Hold Your Fire and A Room Called Earth from booktopia.com.au right now. 
Join me next time when I speak to some more debut authors and we're going to get into the nitty gritty of the editing and publishing process. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au.